This episode is brought to you by Core, the brand new non-custodial wallet that offers a seamless and secure experience on Avalanche. You'll hear more about Core later in the show. What's going on, everyone? Uh, welcome back to another episode of Empire. We got the roundup. We got Santi. Hope you guys all had a really good week. We are one week out from the merge, so we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the merge, talking about how Santi and I have positioned ourselves. But before we do that, Santi, how are we feeling, my friend? I'm doing great. Uh, good to be here. How are you? Good. Good. What? What's... Uh, I feel like you're in like a chipper mood today. I feel like you're in a really good mood. No, you know, just uh, there's a lot of, I mean, it's kind of surreal that the merge is going to happen next week. And uh, there's some good stuff happening today on the crypto side of things. And so, yeah, it's always, yeah. I, <laughs> always what's not to, a good mood. What's not to be, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's, I'm in a it's good, a good mood. way to end the week, you know, recording this thing. I it's like recording the days that we record. We always typically record on Thursday. Thursdays are one of the best days of the week because you're closer to Friday. It just feels, it's a nice day. What is like your ideal week or ideal day? Like, are you in meetings? Are you investing? Are you like, how much time are you spending working? Do you like work out? What, what What's like a day in the life of Santi? Oh boy. Well, is this going to be an episode about that? Well, I don't want to make it an episode about that, but <laughs> I typically like to reserve and carve out the morning is just alone time, me time. Uh, I love to read uh, multiple newspapers and then also what's going on in crypto and check, you know, across a variety of sources, crypto Twitter and Telegram. And yeah, I, I keep the morning to just exercise and, and just reading and try not to have any meetings. And then I stack meetings most of the time just talking to existing teams and new teams. Um, and I've had a really good set of over the last three weeks, I've been telling, you know, number of times but i've had really interesting discussions of teams building things that i've like haven't thought about or just new use cases and i'm like oh this is pretty interesting like pretty crazy pretty out there but like uh i'm always get really excited uh about teams that are uh i think crypto founders or people coming into the space are not shy in their ambitions uh and it's always really exciting to kind of see that even yeah everything that's going on so yeah by the way so talk, speaking of teams that we're excited about i uh, Remember like three episodes ago or two episodes ago, we talked about a web three CRM. You remember that? We put yeah, out, yeah. I'm going to put out this like call to action. I was like, this, this should exist. So I got like probably 10, 11, 12 DMs. I wow. uh, looked at a bunch of, web, of, of 12 teams building this. Uh, end up getting on calls with five different teams. I'm going to write one check. There's, there's, one, there's one team that was just amazing. Uh, I'll, I'll have to introduce you to them. But like what you can do with, it's kind of like a combination of, if you know, like Looker or Tableau, mm -hmm. um, like these these business intelligence tools, it's kind of like a Looker meets like a Zoom info, like con for like contact uh, discovery. So it's like Zoom info meets Looker meets a CRM, like Salesforce HubSpot. It's really interesting. They're already working with a couple of protocols. Huh. Um, yeah, it's it's really really interesting. So that's, um, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, when you think about it, like. Uh if you're a marketer, if you're someone that's not really deep in crypto, just think about it this way. Like blockchains are super data rich and the amount of information that you can extract from that and then take it and, and glean a lot of insights is going to be super explosive. Like I think that a lot of people are kind of not realizing that. And uh, from, from a marketing standpoint, if you're a consumer brand and you can mint NFTs to your user base and then see everything else that they're doing is... And we talk about privacy here too, which is important, but as things stand, um, you know, it's pretty crazy what you could do uh, just by mining or just by looking and gathering insights from like Etherscan or some of the block explorers. It's, it's awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, um, there, I'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. There's this guy, Tomas Tungus. I don't actually know really what he does, um, but he laid out. He's a VC at Redpoint, I think. Got it. Okay. Um, he laid out, he had this good blog post on, um, the web three marketing stack, the next big wave in crypto. And he kind of, uh, diagrams it all out from like the advertiser flows into the analytics, flows into segmentations, CRM flows into the segmentation. You've got the blockchain data infrastructure. So I, I don't think that these like uh, building the a crypto native web three, I don't think they're, they're going to be directly analogous to like, I don't think the next CRM for crypto is going to look like a Salesforce or HubSpot. Um, but, I, but I'm starting to get really excited about it. So yeah, yeah. Definitely. All right. So we got the merge coming up. We got the merge is predicted to occur between the 13th and the 15th. Are you taking any bets are you like how are you positioning yourself or are you just holding eth and, and riding it yeah business as usual i think uh, i'm gonna leave the arbitrage and acrobatics and <laughs> to more sophisticated players which i'm not one of and this reminds me a lot of there have been prior instances and look robert from compound has a great um tweet thread that says, like, guys, beware. Like, don't try to get cute or creative. There's going to be probably a lot of volatility, um, a lot of maybe actors out there that are going to try to scam you. Just just my best advice, <laughs> and I don't like giving advice, but in this case I will because I feel like the right thing to do for, like, 99.9% .9 of everyone out there is just, like, sit tight. Don't act on impulse. When things get out of control, and look, things might can be – I. Don't think they'll be like super orderly, even though certain protocols like Aave have taken, I think, the right measures and steps, and we'll talk about what those are. But if you're just a normal user, just kind of like sit tight because I feel like, and you've you've done some things, Jason, that you should talk about just for the normal user that you can do today. But in and around that event, I wouldn't try to get cute or creative around like trying to maximize and squeeze profit and try to like get the most amount of like ETH POW and then swap them for like ETH or USDC. It's just, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. I know you're not getting cute with it, but if you were to get cute with it here, here, here are a couple of things. No, no, here are a couple of things that I'm, that I'm doing and that I think folks should probably be thinking about with their ETH um, and spend some time this weekend, like kind of setting themselves up. Well, I actually don't think, uh, you really necessarily, I'm like, I'm not trading around the merge or anything like that, but I, I am kind of setting myself up to maximize profit around That's the merge. That's a good distinction. That's yeah. A good distinction. And, and here, here's kind of what I'm doing. So like the first thing is like, where, figure out where you hold your crypto. Um, so if you hold, if you hold your crypto on an exchange, if you hold your ETH on an exchange, the first thing to do would probably be to check, to figure out whether or not the exchange supports the fork. So Again, as a reminder, ETH is going through this upgrade. It transitions from proof of work to proof of stake. After the transition, ETH miners can no longer mine. So what some miners are doing is they're forking ETH, keeping this proof of work version so they can continue mining. There are a couple of things you can do to get the ETH proof of work token. So the first thing is you have to hold ETH on a wallet that supports the fork. So the easiest thing would probably be to have full custody of your ETH on like a hardware wallet, like a ledger. Um, if you're holding ETH on an exchange, you may or may not get the fork token. So the first thing is, if you are holding your ETH on an exchange, uh, I think some exchanges are either already putting out policies or will put out policies on mm -hmm. whether or not you'll get the fork tokens. For anyone who remembers the Bitcoin forks of like 2017, 2018, uh, you usually do, like some exchanges, like I remember Coinbase supported a lot of those forks in that they would give you the they would airdrop you the tokens but it would usually take like three or four or five or sometimes six months so keep that in mind is even if an exchange you, you would have lost out on pretty 
the, the time value of money there was high in that current very high there are yeah. some exchanges that already have ious and like the implied market cap of ETH POW is like one to 2% of the Ethereum market cap. So that if you back into that, it's kind of like 13 to 15 bucks. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that's the first thing to do is like figure out where you're holding your ETH. Uh, hopefully you know that already. And then figure out what the policy is. If you're holding it on an exchange, like, are they going to give you that, uh, the, the proof of work tokens? The second thing is uh, bridge all your tokens back to the ETH mainnet. So this is this is important. You are not going to get any ETH proof of work for your ETH that's held on like Optimism, Arbitrum, Polygon, any other layer two scaling solutions. It's probably a good idea to move back to the mainnet before the merge to get those ETH proof of work tokens. So that's the that's the second thing. Uh, the third thing is probably uh, is probably unwrap all your WETH or WETH or I don't even, I still don't know how to pronounce it. Wrapped ETH, W ETH to ETH. Um, there's I'd pro like there's probably going to be a dex on the new eth proof of work chain that will help you unwrap your wrapped eth proof of work token but like it's going to be probably a pretty unstable ecosystem i would just unwrap it before the merge um i would unwrap it before the merge so that's the third thing the fourth thing is uh remove liquidity from protocols uh you are not going to get any eth proof of work tokens for eth that's being used to provide liquidity so probably a good idea to withdraw unless you're getting crazy rates somewhere it you should probably withdraw now and provide liquidity again after the merge. Um, and I, you, you have to assume there's going to be a big liquidity crunch on protocols uh, in, in like the coming week as more folks do this. So to that, be those fair, are like, that, 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 again, that might have some tax implications, folks. If you're using Aave, it's different than if you're using Maker and some other protocols. So anytime you're yanking liquidity out of a protocol, you know, not, this is not tax advice, but just bear in mind that sometimes it has tax implications uh, depending on your jurisdiction. So, um, yeah, it's important to talk to the tax man coming through well, for you. Well, I, was, I, I no, feel no, like a, a lot call. of times, no, no, it's a like if you're if you're converting, I just uh, finished. I, I finished my crypto taxes, and it was not pretty. Not a pretty sight. It's 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 important, you know, if you're. My understanding is, and we'll have to have like the token tax guys here to sag from who does great work there. Um, uh, and I've used them and this is not a paid endorsement or anything. They've just helped me a lot is when you deposit your ETH in Aave, it gets converted into a ETH, right? Um, and that is a token conversion event that is uh, taxable, uh, which is different than wrapping um, your token, which is not. So yeah. uh, just bear that in mind. Is that what you use, Santi, for taxes? Is I, well, I mean, I've used like the three different providers at once, um, but one of them was yeah. token tax because again like you want to compare and make sure that like uh it's very comprehensive um yeah. but yeah token tax is pretty good okay so those are the steps that i would do to set yourself up for success it's pretty easy things if you want to get cute with it as santi was saying uh you could borrow eth from avin compound so you're going to get any there's going to be basically like a snapshot i think so you're going to get eth proof of work for any eth that's held during the snapshot this what some what actually a lot of folks are doing is they're saying, okay, there's going to be this snapshot that looks at how much ETH I've, I have held at the merge. This means it probably makes sense to borrow as much ETH as humanly possible, uh, which is now starting to happen. Uh, you're seeing rates on Aave and Compound go up to like 30, 35, 40%. Um, you can get cuter. You can like monitor the steeth to ETH market. You could buy or sell steeth as we get closer to the merge, um, depending on what yeah. the, the kind of so-called peg is doing. Um mm -hmm. But the, the, that that now that's getting cute with it. 
Yeah, well, that, that's a thing that uh, is worth noting. I mean, we'll just jump to it. The What's been happening in the ST ETH, ETH mar- lending market is pretty interesting. Um, this week, there was a big sell-off and spike in the Aave ETH borrow rates, and that puts pressure on the STE ETH peg because there's been, I guess, a, a, a number of market participants have been playing kind of this recursive leverage trade, which um, you deposit ST ETH on Aave, you borrow more ETH, then you buy ST ETH, and you kind of rinse, repeat. Uh, but as as rates go up, you know that puts pressure, right? And so, yeah. um, it's I would just it's it's just an interesting tidbit. Like uh, the the peg went uh, down to, or the rate I shouldn't call it, it just went down because it shouldn't be pegged ever. Yeah, yeah it's uh, not a pe- it's not a peg. it's not a peg. But it, the rate the ST ETH, ETH fell all the way to 0.95, and that's been its lowest level since uh, kind of the um, the fallout of Three Arrows kind of. Uh, was having pre- put, was putting and after Terra was putting pressure um, on SD ETH and it fell all the way down to 0.93. Uh, so that was this is the second low, uh, lowest level yeah. since then, and it's hovering currently around 0.96, which I actually think is pretty decent rate if you think about kind of the uh, the uh, duration and kind of the liquidity discount that these things should have. Uh, but yeah, and I mean, you gotta, so you got to expect folks are selling Steeth to get back into ETH right now, right? Yeah. So that means the so that will drive it lower. That'll drive Steeth lower, mm-hmm. which means Correct. there's probably a nice arbitrage play there. Yeah, there's there's some yeah. there's some selling pressure, yeah, on SDETH. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just interesting to monitor ETH borrow rates around this time. I mean, they went all the way, as you said, up to thirty five percent. Yeah. Um, so, you know, monitor during this time, uh, we should link to Robert uh, Leshner's thread on, on Twitter, which is you probably should be really cautious around the new ETH proof of work chain. Most market, most kind of big players have come out. This is like most exchanges from like Coinbase to Circle, to like Center Circle, uh, Crack, and a lo- even OpenSea. Like most folks have come out saying we're not going to support the ETH proof of work chain. And so what is important is anytime if you are interacting with say and you can correct me here but for instance a lot of people might see this okay you you have 100 x amount of eth you get eth proof of work you go on to that chain and you say oh wow look i have this i want i i want to you know profit and sell these tokens you're interacting in that chain if you sign a transaction there just be cautious what you're interacting with because a miner there might be able or wanting to replicate that transaction in the like ETH um, proof of stake chain. And so I don't know the exact kind of vector here that they could exploit it, but it's just important to like be really cautious and probably, probably like sit tight and not do hmm. much. Um, that's a, that's a good flag Santi because, okay. So you remember, um, you remember the Bitcoin fork? So you had Bitcoin mm-hmm. cash, obviously. Then you get like all these other ones. You got like Bitcoin gold, Bitcoin diamond, Bitcoin, you remember Bitcoin hot, yeah, was- you had oil, Bitcoin, Bitcoin smart, United Bitcoin, Bit- B2X, Segwit, uh, yeah, you had Bitcoin cash plus you had Lightning. you had all these heart, you had all these forks, right? So if you like, okay. So if you hold ETH on a non-custodial wallet, you're going to be eligible for every, for every fork token, which is good. Uh-huh. You, you think that's good. Uh, what it's what is not good and where it gets risky is, and this might have been what Leshner was referring to, is uh, you shouldn't just go, a lot of people will be like, ooh, n- new fork things have just fallen into my wallet. There's going to be a lot of scams that people are basically right. just dropping into wallets. So right. 
don't just don't go just like claiming all the airdrops. There's probably going to be a lot of scams trying to get at signatures and keys. Correct. Um, Correct. And I know that happened in 2017 and 2018 mm-hmm. with the Bitcoin forks, and it's four years later now. So I can only imagine how sophisticated some of these forks, uh, yeah. some of these scammers are going to be. I so, mean, probably the best course of action is hold out a bit, see what other people are doing. Yeah. Don't be the guinea pig. Don't don't be in the front line. And if you want to. You're holding it in a in your in your own kind of wallet, not in an exchange. Then be careful when you're like transferring these tokens. Um, but uh, yeah, look, it's going to be a very interesting time. Um, the more I don't want to lose sight of the big picture here, which is look, guys, finally Ethereum is migrating to <laughs> for mistake. Yeah. There's a big upgrade. Uh, was a Bellatrix update that happened this week of a lot of the clients. It, was the last step uh, in, uh, before the merge. And so all in all, really exciting. Um, and and we shouldn't kind of lose the forest for the trees, right? The most important thing good is point. I think this is a really good setup for Ethereum. Price aside, speculation aside, just fundamentally, this has been in the works for years, for years. And I think it is a very positive transition to Ethereum and lends a lot of credibility as we've talked about in prior episodes. On the narrative shifting, a lot of really institutions kind of taking now perhaps more actionable from the ESG standpoint. It's just, uh, I think, really uh, a positive step uh, in the Ethereum cap. Yep. Which, whether it's correlation or causation, but it is pretty interesting that we are like 90% plus upside in Ethereum for the full flipping. Um, this The ETH-BTC ratio has been on a tear, and it is traded to the highest level since 2018. And so... Yeah, it's pretty interesting uh, that we are closer to the flipping than ever. Um, and the momentum, I think, is very much on Ethereum side. Now, a lot of things could be derailed. Uh, you know, that there could be a lot of momentum traders out there. But nonetheless, I mean, I think um, it's difficult to understand all the factors that go into this kind of rally. But I think a big part of it is Ethereum is finally migrating. And, and a lot of people are observing that. Yeah. It's interesting that the uh, that the the ETH BTC ratio. I've just got this pulled up on Trading View. Let's see if I can share it right here. It's interesting that this ratio is so high. Here you go. Uh, is so high in the bear market, right? So if you look at when this when it got so high the last time, so it was up to you know it did fl- did it flip? No. What am I looking at here? No, no. When well, it, it went on to- the market cap basis. Like it, it should never go to like the flipping doesn't occur at one. The flipping occurs on market cap basis. And so yeah, yeah. that is, yeah. So the highest it got was in 2017 in July. And then again, in like January of 2018, right? So like right after the peak of the bull. So it's interesting now that this is happening like nine, 10, 11 months into the bear market. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, look, I think Ethereum's market cap fully diluted. Uh, well, market cap, current market cap right now is like 196 billion and bitcoins is 368 billion so yeah. you know ethereum is like at 53 percent um and so yeah yeah moving on from the merge yeah i don't think there's anything else to discuss here other than yeah. you know obviously we'll be covering a lot next week but uh, yeah uh let's talk about i don't want to turn this into the maker show but i do feel like there's a lot of interesting stuff happening on maker right now so i will continue talking about maker and if it gets to be too much too much folks should just uh tweeted us or DM us and let us know. But I do think there's really interesting things. Um, uh, there is a Maker Coinbase Prime proposal. So Coinbase basically made a proposal for Maker to transfer 
uh, of Maker's PSM into Coinbase Prime's custody uh, to earn 1.5% API on USDC rewards. That's 33% of the PSM would be about $1.6 billion. Why that's interesting for Maker um, and why that probably makes a lot of sense for Maker is because they've got all this USDC that they're not actually earning anything on. So if you look at 1.5% of 1.6 billion, that's an additional 24 million in revenue that Maker could be earning every year. Um, Maker's governance would be able to freely mint, burn, withdraw, settle almost instantaneously in USDC. It's like five or six minutes, which is consistent with Coinbase Prime's standard offering. And um, yeah, I mean, I think so. The, so, uh, so like, like this is what we talked about. This is what we've been talking about, right? There's this huge dichotomy I think in crypto right now between uh, what I'd call focusing on decentralization maximization to avoid sense to become censorship resistant with the downside of losing out on maybe some total addressable market that you could capture. The other side of the argument is just race to acquire users, capital, um, and just try to get as big as possible and maybe sacrifice some of the decentralization. And this proposed, and we've been talking about this and last week, we said this is the biggest dichotomy in crypto right now. And this is such a good example of it, right? You've got some folks at Maker like, of course we should do this. This is an extra $24 million a year. It basically costs us nothing. Uh, and then other folks uh, like Chris Black are saying, there's no way we should do this. This is, this is, we are getting away from DeFi. So I'm curious to hear your take on, on what you think of this. Well, you're deeper in a maker. So maybe I'll just ask a few questions and then I'll like, to, and you'll see where I'm going with this. Is like, what is, so I get it, 1.5% of APY, fine. But what is, like, A, does maker have, Okay, fine. It's nice to get 1.5% on this size, 24 million. It could go to a bunch of things, but are there alternatives? Like what is being done with the PSM today? Um, and could you be doing it and depositing in a way that is not using kind of, you know, not going to Coinbase, if you will. I mean, you, you could buy, you could buy treasuries, but, at, and get high, like higher than 1.5%, but you're, but that's like less crypto native. That's more, mm -hmm. that's more off chain, you know? Yeah. yeah. But also keep in mind, like USDC, USDC is an IOU backed by off chain assets that is managed by circle. So you're already, I like, I think, okay. So you look at, you look at maker, you've got like, look at the balance sheet of maker. You've got like assets and liabilities. The assets of the, the liabilities of maker are die. The assets are the PSM and the user vaults. The user vaults are users own those assets. Maker can't touch them. The PSM is Maker owns those assets. They mm -hmm. Maker can invest them, uh, and they should probably only invest them in like really, really, really safe instruments like treasuries and bonds and and things mm -hmm. like that, right? And that's what mm -hmm. USDC is in is in the PSM right now. I think the argument for doing this is that this is no riskier than just holding USDC. The current structure of the Dai that is generated from the USDC PSM looks like kind of I mean, you're already using USDC, which is an IOU backed by off-chain no, assets managed by, yeah. managed by Circle, right? So I, I guess you are saying you're taking on the risk of, you're adding one more layer, which is Coinbase. Yeah, the custodian which, risk. Custodian yeah, risk, the, which by the way, yeah. the, the keys could still be compromised in the PSM. Like there is risks of being holding your own kind of assets and being your own custodian. There is a risk of Coinbase. Um, Coinbase custody, I am curious because this came out and surfaced a few months back, which is 
and I'm not sure if depositors in the custody accounts are like, like subprime, like meaning like they are not creditors of Coinbase. So if Coinbase were to default or like go bankrupt, you as a client, like maker could stand to lose that if they're right. Cause they're technically like not a creditor. It's just like a client. And so I think like Armstrong came out saying like, yeah, our customers like in a scenario where Coinbase were to go to bankrupt, like you are taking counterparty risk. And so, well, you know, you, you True. are adding on that layer, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I think like you have USDC today that could be frozen if you like in an extreme scenario, whether it's in your own wallet or in Coinbase's custody wallet, doesn't kind of really matter. The only risk incremental here is some marginal kind of, well, some incremental counterparty risk, which is you have to trust Coinbase and their custody. Uh, now, a third of the PSM is, I mean, it's not all of it, at least. So you're diversifying a bit. Um, and so I do wonder how much you're getting in those short-term T-bills that they bought um, not too long ago, but it's probably comparable, right? It's like not too dissimilar from this rate. I even the rates think are moving it's all over the place. Probably higher. Yeah. I think it's probably two and a half, or I think it's probably three, sub three, over two, somewhere between two and a half and 3%. APY? Would have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interest yeah. rates are going up, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fully noted that EU, the European kind of central bank just hiked 75 basis points which is wild. yeah um but um but yeah no i i this is going to be interesting i do you think it passes uh, i think this passes yes i definitely think this passes mm -hmm. yeah yeah do you think they're getting the best rate here and could they negotiate with coinbase to get a higher apy that's what I said. So I posted on the forum. I said, I like all this. This is great work from the growth team and from Coinbase. Really like it. Um, Chris Black would probably tear me apart here and probably disagree with me on this one. But I was like, I like it. Uh, it's providing a bunch of revenue. Uh, I think the 1.5% is what I post on the forum is that 1.5% seems low. I think what someone might say to me is that maybe two responses. Um, who, who was it in the discord? I said, it's low to and Luca Prosperi, who's great. Um, really, really like the guy. Um, mm -hmm. he's like, look, it's better than 0%. He's like, we got to do something. This is a good short-term solution until we figure out a better solution. And then some other folks said, look, where else can you get 1.5% mm -hmm. still being crypto kind of like crypto native, you know, keeping it in the ecosystem. Yeah. So, um, and my, yeah. Question here is I'm unfamiliar, but when you when you invest in T bills, you know they're fairly, you know I guess you know fairly safe or the safest in the risk spectrum, um, in the centralized risk spectrum, I should say. But um, do do we have an insight into what Coinbase Prime and how what they're going to be doing? Like, are they buying? What kind of assets are they going to be buying? And is it further out on the risk curve? All right, folks, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Avalanche and Ava Labs. They have just dropped a new crypto wallet called Core. You're going to be hearing a lot about it over the coming months. You can now be one of the first to try it out. Here's the reason I'm excited to partner with them on Empire. Right now, crypto wallets and browser extensions, they feel clunky. They feel non-intuitive. That's why Ava Labs built Core. It's a 
free non-custodial browser extension that gives Avalanche users a seamless and secure Web3 experience across the entire Avalanche ecosystem. Here are a few reasons to try Core. Here's what I'm experimenting with. Number one, Core has intuitive dashboards with a unified display for all of your NFT collections, all your crypto assets. You can execute asset swaps directly inside the wallet. It's a really nice experience. Uh, maybe you want to earn yield or borrow against your Bitcoin, uh, but you don't want to do it on one of those C5 platforms right now. Core's native bridging functionality makes it really easy to bridge your Bitcoin to Avalanche's robust DeFi ecosystem. Last but not least, Core makes on-ramping super easy. You can convert dollars to crypto right now using the MoonPay integration. Just takes a few clicks. Download Core today using the link in the show notes. It's really, really nice. Uh, if you are interested in the Avalanche ecosystem at all, you have to be using Core. Download Core using the link below. Now let's get back to the show. Ooh, that's that's the best. That's the best question. That's the question that hasn't been answered in my mind which is the most important question. So I would assume that the Coinbase, this deal is very close to some sort of like safe, like T-bill investment um, mm -hmm. like Maker did. But if it's more like unsecured lending to crypto market makers, then I would change my entire mindset on this and I would not support it. Yeah. So I think that's the, this might've been answered overnight because uh, I haven't checked the forum yet today, but mm -hmm. that is, I think that's the most important question. Really, that's- What would yeah. be interesting though is like, uh... So, okay, fine. If this goes through and you're really worried about it, then you could probably hedge some of this exposure by buying like CDS or like shorting Coinbase stock or something uh, on like Synthetix or some other platform where like, you know what I mean? Like you could use Synthetix. I, I don't know if they support Coinbase, but like if you're really worried about counterparty risk, then you could probably do some sort of interesting strategy where you yeah. hedge out some of the exposure, assuming it's not wildly expensive to do so, which I haven't run through this exercise. But theoretically, yeah, you minimize kind of counterparty risk but i think we're coming into a if you zoom out i think it's more and more apparent that we are coming to some sort of big i don't want to call it a fork in the road but um just kind of more towards this this kind of like philosophical standpoint meets like practical implementation and regulatory um kind of policy like regulatory compliance if you will which is um i think you know the like i think a lot of and this goes back to the episode that we recorded with jake and rebecca that there will be a lot of more regulatory clarity um and even today right Gensler just kind of came out saying that the my understanding was that the cfdc would be overseeing kind of bitcoin um and ethereum but he's also um, hinting or just further emphasizing the point that he's been making all along, which is a lot of other tokens look and feel like securities and a lot of like service providers, exchanges and all that need to register with the SEC and all this stuff. Um, and so ultimately, um, yeah, like this is, again, we asked, I asked you this question in a prior episode, like what are the odds of like a regulator freezing USDC, not just in Maker, but like across DeFi? and what their motivation would be to do so. Um, and I think there's two camps. One of them, it says, look at what happened with Tornado. They can do that at at their own kind of whim if they wanted to and make, you know, kind of shut down DeFi. But I think, um, you know, I sort of feel that 
the tornado situation was pretty unique and specific. Um, and it probably doesn't happen unless there's a very clear kind of bad actor interacting in these protocols, which, yeah, I, I don't feel. Like I mean, I feel really, we, we've, I've been, we've been close with circle since they've, since very early days. Like we've known Jeremy and their team since the very early days. I, um, what, what, what happened to tornado is not just going to happen to circle. Like they've got a huge regulatory team, a huge policy team. They meet with the regulators. I would probably, I would assume every day someone on their team is talking to some sort of regulator or policymaker. It's not just gonna, it's, it wouldn't, what happened to tornado would never happen to circle. And that was just like, you kind of wake up one day and like, boom, action's been taken. There would be, I, I mean, look, I could end up looking like a fool in a couple of years if that ever happens, but like, I just really don't see that happening. Um, it's not to mean that we shouldn't try to get more censorship resistant and like, you've got this obvious dichotomy between like decentralization and creating censorship resistant systems versus KYC, AML, apply like uh, work with regulators and basically try to uh, capture as big of a market as possible. But Mm -hmm. I I don't see like them just freezing USDC. So. Yeah. I remember meeting Jeremy a number of times and every time we met, he was like, yeah, I was just in DC. (laughs) And this is like back in He spends so much time there. And like when the, when, when there's a hearing and they need someone to come talk about it, like, He's usually someone they tap. They tap um, uh, Chad Cascarilla from Paxos. from Paxos. Like there are a yeah. couple of these companies that are just very deeply embedded in, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, into the DC scene. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I think just around at this topic, I, I think the, in my mind, it is, look in the extreme scenario where if the regulators want to, uh, you know, freeze USDC, they're going to do it, and Circle's going to do it, no matter if it's held in. <laughs> makers kind of self-custodied wallets multi-sig or on coinbase it doesn't matter folks the heart of the problem is if you believe it's a problem is why are they holding that much usdc yeah which this has been in the works since we first introduced the proposal back in march of 2020 to onboard usdc as collateral to bring more stability and scalability to the protocol now if you don't like maker go somewhere else you have options But it, way, is the, but it is, as you, as you, to quote you, it is one of, if not the primary backbone of DeFi. So everyone that isn't DeFi should be paying attention to this because yeah. sure, you can use another protocol, but even Frax has USDC. Like the other protocols yeah. have and use USDC. It is the most kind of fluid used stable coin out there. Yeah. And it does pose a systemic risk. Let me just, one more thing on why I think this makes sense. There are $5.6 billion in the, uh, of like stable coin like backing, right? Uh, in, in the PSM right now, you don't need all $5.6 billion to be fully liquid. And I mean, I'm sure I'll get some pushback on that, but like a lot of the other stable coin issuers kind of run this fraction. I guess the, I, uh, I guess I was, what I was walking into saying is like makers should create a fractional reserve system, which is like the, one of the biggest points of pushback about, <laughs> The traditional banking system but like i don't know like that's just, anyways that's yeah no it's uh, I d- you should yeah. at least uh look there have been some protocols that have been really hurt by doing poor treasury management and others that have been yeah. in this case maker kind of fairly conservative do something in the middle but i think uh you know earning some yield on your 
on your idle assets, i.e. cash, uh, stable coins is probably a good thing to subsidize yeah. and finance ongoing. I just operations. think that as the like if you look at the balance sheet of maker, you've got the assets and liabilities, liabilities are die, assets are the PSM and the user vaults. You can open up at least a small chunk of the assets to become to have a third bucket, which is like safe investments. Mm-hmm. So and by the yeah. way, the, on the custody risk, you're really just switching custodians because if you already have, right. you have a bunch of USDC, USDC is uh, custody, like center via USDC is the current custodian of the PSM's underlying assets, I think. So yes. you're really switching to Coinbase Prime is effectively just. I mean, yeah, the USDC is like an custodians. IOU. It's an IOU and it's yeah. center circle that like maintains yeah. that ledger and can freeze so. and update balances. So yeah, you're right. On the Coinbase side of things, mm-hmm. um, Coinbase, I just got a alert. Coinbase is funding a lawsuit, actually. Um, Coinbase is funding a lawsuit brought by six people challenging the U.S. Treasury Department's sanctions of the Tornado Cash smart contracts and asking the court to remove them from the U.S. sanctions list. This is really interesting. This is written by Brian Armstrong. I'm reading this in real time. I'll ping it over to you. Um, why I think this is interesting is, um, hmm, is because Coinbase is a public company and it's very rare i would say that you see newly listed public companies that are like already kind of pushing the boundaries of maybe what folks would say they should the company should be doing right there's probably some regulators who say that coinbase lists uh unregistered securities and so they're probably under the watch the you know the the eye of the regulators already or in fact i know they are so it's it's really interesting that they're coming down and just saying like look this is what we believe in yeah. I'm still reading this blog post. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it touches on a lot of when we, people should go back to the episode we recorded when the tornado thing happened, which is my yeah. observation was it felt like they were using like a sledgehammer where they should be using more of like a, a finer knife and tool. And in this case, the point that they're making is one, Treasury is using a hammer instead of a scalpel. Um, you know, and, and uh, there are, second of all, it acted outside of its authority, meaning Treasury is allowed to sanction people and their property. But Congress has never given Treasury the power to sanction open source software. And I think that is the primary strongest argument here that it is probably unconstitutional to do so. It goes back to the First Amendment, which is if you're a developer and you're like, uh, you know, this is open source code. Um, And a more finer argument that they're making is more kind of this is stifling innovation. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, you know, I think it has made a big impact on a lot of developers in the space and how they could be treated. Cause obviously one of the tornado cast developers was arrested in, in the Netherlands and is still held to my knowledge by the authorities. And so, um, yeah, it, you know, historically open source developers, I don't know, just developers writ large have been, you know, it's, it's pretty important to, to have the freedom to kind of write code. Yeah. <clears throat> so love this move. A lot of respect. Good yeah. job, Brian Armstrong. There's another uh, good uh, mirror post by Katie Hahn, who used to be uh, the prosecutor. Yeah. Do you know Katie? Can we have Katie on Empire? Uh, Katie, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on. I have met her. I have interacted with her. I think uh, she's very smart on these type of topics. Um, now runs Hahn Ventures. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she she has a good po- I haven't read it. She argued more that it was like most people are focusing on the First Amendment. There's also another argument to be done on the Fourth Amendment which um, I'm not an expert on law, but we should link it up in the show notes and then discuss it and if uh, perhaps even have her on to talk about it. But this is going to be a really big precedent. I feel like um, the more I've thought about like everything that has transpired on Tornado Cash and 
talking to a lot of developers out there. It It's sort of like kind of reminds me of in the 90s where like the department, what is it, the DOJ or even the Department of Defense like was pretty um, at some point I think overacted in the sense that it wouldn't even allow like certain people to leave with like computers like if you're traveling outside the united states i think you were not allowed to like at some point like take like pieces of hardware and computer and because they would feel like it would like um yeah they were pretty paranoid about it and um yeah i think there have been these instances where uh like the regulators or like the different departments um have tried to block this sort of stuff and then it ultimately kind of goes away um but uh but yeah it's not like yeah. the first like everything like we try to put it in a historical perspective and this is not the first time or the last candidly where like i feel like regulators might like clamp down temporarily or try to on you know pretty fundamental um like freedoms like freedom of privacy and freedom of speech and whatnot yeah let's move past unless there's anything yeah, yeah. else uh, i want to talk about binance actually um yeah. Another company that's usually in the regulatory uh, eyes is Binance. Uh, starting t- uh, September 29th, Binance will automatically convert all USDC, USDP, what is that, Paxos, USD Paxos, and TUSD. Sta- uh, anyways, Binance is converting their stablecoin balances basically into BUSD, which is Binance's stablecoin, mm-hmm. which is really just a white-labeled Paxos coin um, at a one-to-one ratio in order to enhance liquidity and capital efficiency for users. Users will still be able to withdraw their chosen centralized stablecoin. The amount will simply be deducted from their BUSD balance. Binance added that USDT is not one of the stablecoins involved in the auto conversion initiative, but they didn't provide a reason as to why. Uh, yeah, I think there's some really good takes by um, the founder of Wintermute, which is a big market maker. And, Jenny? And, uh, yeah, F. Jenny and even uh, Jeremy from Circle. They all seem to suggest it's a positive thing and I tend to agree, which is you're leaving essentially the role of arbitraging to a market maker, um, but improving liquidity of BUSD. Um, if there's a discrepancy between the peg, then a market maker is going to step up and capture that R fairly quickly. And so there's kind of no reason, uh, and this is a point that Evgeny Ev- made, which is like if when you have too many pairs, it fragments liquidity. And so it's probably, it's a more inefficient kind of market and so the you're by removing a lot of these pairs you consolidate liquidity and then it just makes the market maker's job easier um to make to make you know to arb that perhaps discrepancy in the peg and make the markets more liquid um and so yeah i think uh ftx does something similar right when you deposit a stable into ftx you're basically depositing um like if you deposit usdc and ftx um it has like it it is a basket of different stablecoins except USDT tether um but for the most part it's just um yeah it's it's like consolidated um and then depending on what you want to redeem like withdraw or trade on like you which pair then i think that's when um you know it just consolidates the liquidity and it's probably net positive or it is net positive is binance taking a swing at tether here Mm, no, I think this is also consistent with how FTX does it, right? Which is Tether has always been in a category of its own. Yeah, but FTX doesn't have their own stable. Finance has yeah, their own at least. Stable. But yes, yeah. Yeah. I I don't I'm not reading too much into Tether other than 
Tether, I think, is just a stable coin that is, you know, just treated differently. Certainly, like U.S. regulators have always had it in. It's not the same as USDC. Let's put it that way. Um, and so, yeah, this is this is total tether fud, but <laughs> it's not. One, well, yeah. No, no. Well, what, yeah, what I'm going to say, what, what I'm going to say, say is, yeah. what you what you could make the argument that Binance is like taking a swing at tether, and that they'll try to like hurt tether with this. Um, but because eventually, if tether gets hurt enough, Binance has enough capital to come in and basically bail out tether. This is total tether fud, by the way. I don't think no. this is going to happen. Uh, and then, and then, if Binance was behind tether, like that is just so powerful. Um, mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's tether fud. We can move that's tether fud, the- which is you know, there's always tether fud. Uh, I mean, Jeremy said something similar, which I mean, not fud per se, but just his opinion, which I mean, obviously he's biased. But said, Binance is trying to consolidate doll liquidity with cash equivalent stables. That's good for liquidity and market depth. USDT is not cash equivalent, not even close. Full stop period. So yeah, anyways, time and time again, Tether has uh, come out with, uh, you know, reports of uh, what is backing Tether and what have you. So I'm not going to yeah. comment or make an opinion. People can go read and inform themselves on the matter. And if you do want to talk about it or have an opinion, just comment on YouTube as a lot of people do. Who's your favorite data provider, Santi? Did you guys use everyone or did you use like Kaiko, Amber Data, uh, Coinmetrics? Like, do you have any favorites? Uh... Good question. Uh, I like uh, in no particular order, but Coinmetrics is a really good newsletter and just provides really nice charts. Um, you know, in network data visualization, um, I'm I'm a big fan of what they do. Uh, Misari has good charts. Um, I haven't looked closely at yours, but I assume you guys have as well. Fairly new. Um, don't kill me for saying this, but the block has good DeFi charts. Um, who else? Nansen, you know, paid, but yeah, uh, the first ones that I said are with the exception of maybe you guys and others, uh, are, they have different tiers, but a lot of these are free. So yeah. Yeah. Um, how about you? You'll see what we roll out in, uh, in like a month and a half. So <laughs> there <laughs> we my, go. That's my uh, plug. Yeah. We've been building a bunch of data stuff in the background. So nice. Yeah. Nice. There's my there plug. Um, all right, man. I want to bring this guy Doug Colkett on. Doug has he keeps having these. Int- I don't know if you read uh, Garrett's notes that he wrote for us, but uh, I, Doug keeps showing up in the notes, and we keep not talking about it because. Mm-hmm. But Garrett is uh, he, is right. Doug keeps making these interesting arguments, and the argument this week was that there. Uh, he argues that today's completely free floating gas means that prices keep falling until supplies clear. I think he's basically saying that. Um, uh, there should be a floor price, a fee floor price on L1s. I mean, the the question just now and the first jumped at me was, well, it, it is possible that at this early stage of a lot of these L1s that some might be even subsidizing block space to attract, you know, to make it artificially drop fees and then convert users and then over time, you know, let it be more of a free-floating market um, and stop subsidizing Um block space but yeah that may be a totally inaccurate and un- incorrect statement but well uh, i think it comes down to the big question of value accrual right like which the one of the bit we were talking about one of the big dichotomies or questions in crypto right now is like decentralization and building censorship resistance and sacrificing maybe addressable market on the other side of it is address like basically racing to acquire users make as much money as possible another big question in crypto right now is like 
basically just what part of the stack is value going to accrue. Is it going to accrue to the settlement layer? If it accrues to the settlement layer, does it accrue to L1s or does it accrue to L2s? Or will it accrue to apps? Or does it accrue to aggregators? Which I don't think many people think aggregators. It's really between apps versus settlement layer. And if you, I think it's really between like L1s versus apps, I would say. Um, but I think that's one of the big questions. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's add to future episodes where we bring on Doug um, and potentially Katie and or Jeremy yeah. would be great to have, actually. Uh, Santi, where do you think value will accrue in the next cycle? Settlement layer or app layer? I tweeted about this. I put it a, a, a poll yesterday, um, and we can link it here, which is I asked what part of the stack will accrue the most value in the next crypto cycle? And the different options were settlement layer, which includes L1 and L2, apps, which would be like DeFi games, et cetera, aggregators, mostly I'm thinking like wallets um, and or other. And the there are 25 minutes left in the poll. For now, it's an overwhelming 45, 46% say that it will accrue the most on apps. Whereas historically, it's been mostly the sediment layer, meaning, you know, the L1. Um, now, my, I, I'm sort of split. I, I think apps um, more so than an L2, because uh, it's really exciting what's happening in L2 land. Optimism is particularly yeah. Arbitrum. I think uh, L2s are going to, over the next like eight, like I was going to say eight years, but for the next cycle, L2s are really going to shine because um, I think we're there's it's going to coincide nicely uh, with really good apps that are coming out and support a lot of users. Um, but my overarching thesis is that there and where what I look to invest the most at this point is um, investing in one application that is going to capture and probably build out other parts of the stack. So look at Steppen, for instance. And people that want to learn more about it should go to our episode. And full disclosure, I'm an investor in Steppen and I'm an advisor. So, so you know, take this all of this with a grain of salt. But nonetheless, the point stands. They have created a really, you know, nice application which allows people to earn NFTs and um, uh, this by walking and exercising. Um, and they've onboarded a lot of users. And they've <clears throat> first were deployed in Solana and then they migrated to other chains because they were hitting like, they were just kind of breaking Solana. They just had a lot of traction. Um, since then they've become, so they captured all this attention and all these users. They've now rolled out their own marketplace and they're now the most popular decks in Solana. And so what's to stop them from continuing to build out other products, meaning they already have a wallet. Like they build their own wallet. They they already have oh, the they wallet. Do, they do have their own wallet. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they have their application. So like essentially right, right, it's right. a wallet and the marketplace. And what's to stop them from building their own chain? Um, like, like DYDX-ish type also doing this. So I'm the way I characterize this thesis is the WeChat of Web3, which is like WeChat, there is going to be someone that probably um, just kind of captures all these users and attention and then can build all these different parts of the stack. Everything's open source. You can just fork it. You know? Yeah. So I think, so that leads me to invest in an app that captures a lot of users and attention, probably a game. And then that allows you to do so many other things. Yeah. That's all I got today. <laughs> you? What do you think? Um, I could make the, I think, I think that in the, in the next cycle, it's still going to be the settlement layer. I think, um, mm, you know, 
I need to think about this more. Last week I told someone it was going to be the app layer and this week I'm saying the settlement layer. So there's my uh, minimal conviction bet. But well, I it's think, okay uh, to change your mind. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I have conviction yet on anything. Yeah. The, the, the fun contrarian bet say uh, thing would be to say con, uh, the wallets because... Um, Historically, user aggregation theory and look, read. Well, ben they're the Thompson's only one who theory. owns the. They're the only one. Like no one owns. Really, it's very tough to own the user, right? In crypto, but um, they're the, they're the only one who really owns the user. Like once you start using MetaMask, you're gonna you could flip between Compound and Aave really quickly, but like you're still staying at MetaMask. You know, they just make no money. Yeah. they make very minimal, very minimal money. As uh, MetaMask makes good amount of money. <laughs> Me, but, that's true. MetaMask, like, MetaMask does, swap but, fees. Yes, they they do, but those fees will trend towards zero ish. Yeah, I, I guess if what you're seeing in exchanges is like a lot of fees are just gonna most, are going yeah. to zero. Well, this was our argument about Uniswap like a month ago. I think most fees end up trending towards zero in financial markets. Yes or no? Yes or no? But, I know um, what you're going to say, which is there's always a fee, but it's either on the front end and the yeah. user knows it, or it's on the back end and it's payment exactly. order flow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fees. All, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Uh, uh, have you looked before, at Rook Finance, by the way, Santi? Do Rook? you know Rook? Yeah. Like, yeah, but it's been Rook? a while, for, long for a while, right? Yeah, it's been. I had no idea that they were even still around. They are. I talked to their team last week. They are um, really interesting stuff. Like I, when I think about like uh, MEV, I think Flashbots immediately. But the Rook team is doing interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. I have no affiliate. I don't. I don't even know if they have a token. No, I have no affiliation. No, they, they, do, just, they do. Yeah. Okay. This is um, the team that uh, was the Ren team. I think also spun out and then ended up being acquired by someone else. Uh, pretty interesting what they're doing. I, the reason I bring them up is because it's it's kind of like the payment forward flow model. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Before we go, there have been some pretty interesting rounds lately, which suggests that the market, at least on the private side of rounds, of, is pretty healthy and strong, and a lot of the private capital is being deployed. I'll just point out a few here that uh, the first one... Uh, well, that while, you're pulling, while you're pulling it up, Santi, did you, do the, did you invest in Chaos Labs? Yes, I did. They are on an absolute tear right now. I was fascinated. Look, thematically, uh, I they're, love. They're like a they're like a gauntlet, yeah. Kind of like a gauntlet. Super smart, uh, ex-Israeli intelligence uh, unit folks, founders, and they um, are building tools like Gauntlet to do real-time simulation and stress testing um, DeFi. And when you think about it, like there should be more sophisticated tools like DeFi. And blockchains just generally are like really data rich and transparent environments that should allow you to do really interesting data modeling and simulations. Um, and yeah, I was an early investor in chaos. Shout out to Omar and the team there. Um, and they just put out a proposal to, they've done some really interesting work on creating a dashboard for money markets like Ave to monitor in real time the different collateral positions and what's at risk and, you know, allows you to do simulations. And I played around with the tool um, you know, if, if what happens if the price of SD drops below 0.96, like what does that do? The like cascading and do simulations of like cascading liquidations and whatnot. And yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool uh, tooling uh, that they've developed. And th- these are the type of projects that I think are going to push us towards more mainstream adoption, because if you're a more sophisticated financial player, as the market matures, becomes more competitive and these protocols are transacting more value at risk then it's pretty awesome to be able to like in real time do these simulations. And it's the type of tools that A, I think teams, DeFi teams want, B, investors and users want, 
and also regulators, you know, like yeah. regulators track like um, capital efficiency ratios and like solvency ratios, like Basel rules, one, two, three or whatever uh, to basically like if you're if you're like a depositor in some of these banks, you want to understand like what that the bank is like not doing crazy stuff as they were doing like in the financial before the financial crisis. So, again, I think these are the type of tools that make DeFi a better, safer or work towards making it a better, safer environment. Yeah. Tell me about the rounds, and then we can wrap with that. Yeah, well, the biggest one is this uh, Mistin Labs. So the creator of the Sui, Sui blockchain, um, they closed a $300 million raise led by FTX Ventures that valued oh, the damn, protocol. I missed that. Oh, that was today. Wow. $2 billion. That was today, yeah. So Did these you- are like, again, competing L1s. So it's yeah. Aptos and... Sui, I think, are the ones that are mostly kind of talked about now. Um, but yeah, valuing the company at two billion. So and they're the they're the they're out of uh, Facebook, right? This former is former Meta executives, yeah, Facebook yeah. executives. Um, so Aptos is probably the most kind of direct competitor here, if you will. Uh, also, ex Meta employees, um, um, like Novi Financial, what was called. So, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty interesting. And I think the valuations are fairly comparable if I'm not mistaken. Cause Aptos raised for, uh, another $150 million round, bringing it to total of 350 million raised this year. Uh, so again, you know, people might, th- these are not small numbers. Um, yeah. and for anyone listening, it's like, you know, it's pretty, the dilution's not much. And the, the question is, why would you raise that amount of money? And I think if you could do it, you know, you probably need a big war chest to compete against existing L1s. And it's a, from a BD standpoint, attracting developers, that's not cheap, right? And so I think, um, yeah, we'll see, but it's fairly interesting. Um, there have been other rounds, um, not at this scale, but uh, I, f- I feel like the private markets have held up nicely and are you know, back, uh, there've been a number of, you know, funds, I think the amount of dry powder, I don't forget the figure exactly, but there's a decent amount of dry powder, um, of funds in crypto that have raised recently, uh, that are deploying and yeah. backing the next kind of startups. Um, yeah. So what about, uh, I have, I have a couple others, 21 yeah, co, uh, Amu- uh-huh. uh, immune honey, uh, honey's grape known him since the early days. They just raised, uh, now a unicorn, Credix, which is bringing real world mm-hmm. assets oh, those online. Like Parify, uh, I think, yeah, focused on Latin America. Uh, yeah. They they just raised eleven. Fuel Labs raised like eighty. Um, yeah, a lot of raises. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what is Hubble? Go, what is this Hubble protocol? Like censorship resistant stablecoin that Multicoin invested in. Five just million. Multi-coin. Yeah, just Multicoin. Multicoin and a few other folks. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Oh, Animoca raised another. T- actually, today, Animoca raised. Another hundred million or so. Wow. Uh, and it was like GGV, GVC. I don't get, I don't get Animoca. I feel like every three months they just raise <laughs> another hundred million, and then they use that money to go invest in in all uh, these yeah. early. hundred and ten. Yeah, they've invested in one hundred fifty companies. They're a hold. They're uh, a holding company now. They're a holding co. Yeah, they they've so it's around one hundred ten million dollar round led by Temasek, um, and another another a few other investors which i like like uh vc firm ggv capital these are pretty smart guys i think in the consumer land uh but yeah i think it's sort of like to give them more capital to invest um and and continue to i mean they they're 
I think their sub is uh, like Sandbox and like they've invested in early in a few kind of notable projects like Axie and a few others. Yeah. So uh, they're everywhere, really. Anything else you want to wrap, sir? No, any, before we go, any book or uh, movie recommendations? Uh, I have a podcast recommendation, actually, which is... It can't is, be Empire. It's not Empire. It's a non... Well, I have two, actually, two podcast recommendations. I have to plug Bell Curve, which Mike and Van, the guys at Framework just launched, uh, Vance and Michael at Framework, really good show. The other one is a non-crypto show, uh, which I've been trying to read some non-crypto stuff, um, which is... Uh, uh, tape notes, really interesting. So this guy in the UK, he basically sits down with a bunch of artists who I like, like, you know, Flume and Imagine Dragons and uh, Fred again, and like all and Chainsmokers. And like, he'll basically sit down with all these like DJs and musicians and bands, and basically just like dig deep into their uh, recording process and like how they came built albums and how they came up with the album and like where their inspiration came from and, like gets really nitty gritty and you'll he'll like play songs on the podcast and then you dig into the songs it's really good so i would recommend tape notes that's my content of the week interesting yeah. uh i will plug a guest for the sake of diversity a book i think i mentioned the network state biology it's really good uh if you don't want to read the book just go listen to his podcast um um the other one that i'm reading and almost finishing now is Matthew's ball, the metaverse, Matthew balls book, a recent book called the metaverse. Uh, it's pretty good. It says the metaverse, how, um, the metaverse and how it will revolutionize everything. Oh yeah. We had, we had, uh, Oh no, you weren't on that. Matthew came on the show actually, but you weren't, you weren't on that episode. Yeah. Um, Um, but it's, it's, it's fairly good. Uh, it, it also reminds me of one of my favorite books, which is how the internet happened. Um, which lends a lot of really good perspective on the evolution of the internet. And so, yeah, go check that out. The metaverse is, is, is pretty cool. Cool. I'm enjoying it. Nice. Did you watch the psychedelics thing? How to change your mind on Netflix? Uh, partially. I, nice. I haven't I haven't had much time for TV because check I'm starting out. something new, I think. Oh, there's the alpha. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to release that. I got to sprinkle some. But yeah, I'll, I'll, TBD, but uh, in the works. Yeah, right. I'm excited. In the works. All this right. has been me frustrated. You want to say more? It. You want to say more or next time? Uh, it is related to one of the things that I think we can do better as an uh, industry, which is better security. And until we have more hardened security to protect consumers, it, I think is, is the most critical piece. A lot of people talk about more regulation in the space and it, it concerns them and worries them. And I'm channeling that energy to building something that I think will be net positive to push the space forward. And it is around bringing more risk management solutions uh, for crypto. I've actually been tired of like telling this idea to so many people that at some point I'm like, all right, you know what? Uh, Time (laughs) for me to just maybe just do it. (laughs) We'll we'll, uh, we'll do an app on it someday once you're ready to talk about it. So hopefully in three years when it's live. All right, man. Well, enjoy the weekend. Uh, Enjoy the rest of the week. Hope everyone uh, has a great weekend. We'll see you next week for another episode of Empire.